Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's good to be back with you, friends, as I record this six days away from Christmas Day. I hope in the midst of the busyness of the season that you've had chances to sit down and reflect on the power of the Christmas story and the Christian faith. We are in the midst of a sermon series that uh, responds and thinks and reflects on Advent and Christmas. So we continue that today. I'm going to read again from the familiar story that many will be hearing on Christmas Eve, Luke 1 or Luke 2, 1 through 21, as we continue to reflect on what this passage means to us in our faith. So hear these words. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the child, by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So a few years ago, I listened to a podcast, uh, This American Life. You may know it. It's a popular radio show on NPR, and it's a popular download podcast as well. And I think the theme of the whole episode was around superpowers and superheroes. And one of the segments in the episode was a man who reflected on the question, If you had a particular superpower, and specifically he talked about two superpowers, if you had the power to be invisible or if you had the power of flight, which would you choose? And he asked lots of different people, his friends and colleagues, and I can't remember if he asked strangers or two, what would it be? Would you choose invisibility or would you choose flight? And there was the gut reaction of people and the response about why they would do certain things, why would they choose to be invisible and why they would choose to fly. But then it got into this almost philosophical discussion about the two things. And it seemed like people were saying that if you choose invisibility, there is a lot more temptation to perhaps do things that are not so heroic or positive as opposed to flight. It's hard to think about, well, what are bad things that could happen if you're able to fly? 
But if you think about if I'm invisible, what are bad things that can happen? And all of a sudden, there's a laundry list of possibilities. People would note that you'd be able to, for example, sneak into concerts or games. You'd be able to steal things uh, without people seeing you. And then, of course, people would want to know and get uh, clarification. All right, if I steal something, does that mean that the thing is also invisible? So they'd go down that road as well. And then, of course, they gave other examples that I won't go into, but you can probably use your imagination about things that you could do if you were invisible. So if you had the power, what would you do with it? What would you choose, invisibility or flight? Well, power is something that I want to talk about in this sermon today, this podcast, as we continue and end, actually, this sermon series called Another Way to the Manger. What we've been trying to do is, as we look at this powerful story of the Christ child, to remind ourselves that this is not just a glamorous scene with beautiful mother and father and happy little baby in this kind of quaint, uh, outdoorsy type setting. Uh, But instead, that Jesus was born into a real world with real political systems that utilized real power. And so today, I want to think just a little bit about, well, what did they do with power and how did God use that power as well? As we read in the text today from the very beginning, it says that a decree went out from Emperor Augustus. So Augustus was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And some note, historians note that it Augustus, with this power, actually did do some good things. He brought peace. He brought stability to this vast area of the world. But also, as we noted last week, he brought control. He wanted to control this large part of the world as well. And so we noted last week that Luke, in this passage, in some of the ways that he conveys this voice from God, Luke is saying that Augustus is not the one who reigns. Augustus is not the one who saves. Augustus is not the one who brings ultimate peace. There were some readings that we read from at the time that claimed that Augustus was the one who brought peace. Augustus Augustus was the the real savior of the world. But in the way that Luke writes this passage and this narrative, he says no. As Luke tells it and writes it, the angels say glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Luke is saying that God is the one who reigns, that God is the one who brings peace, true peace, that God is the one who is our Savior, which is a pretty radical statement to make in the midst of the Roman Empire at the time. And what I'd like to do right now is actually read another passage from the Bible that summarizes this really radical notion of power and how God uses it well. This is from Philippians. Philippians is in the latter part of the New Testament. Philippians is actually a letter written by a man named Paul, who's one of the first Christians, really probably the most prominent Christian, who spread the good news of the gospel in this part of the world. He's writing a letter to a church in Philippi. And here is what he, it's in this part of Philippians, it's almost like a hymn that he's writing as a way to describe who Jesus is. So this is Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11, and it says this, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And here's where Paul goes into describing the um, nature of who Jesus is, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the time of Jesus, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see here in this hymn that Paul is writing, we note the nature of Jesus. Paul says that Jesus could be regarded as equal to God, but he does not exploit that power, but instead empties himself, becomes human, even to the point where he dies on a cross. But because of that, because of being humble in this way, in a sense, literally humiliating himself, instead God exalts him by doing so. It's a great quote by a man named Gregory of Nyssa, Nyssa, who was an early church leader. And he says this, God's transcendent power is more conspicuously displayed in the lowliness of Christ's incarnation than in all the natural wonders of the universe. And so Philippians, and I think Gregory of Nyssa, and the story of Luke really says, true power is gained when we give it up. God comes into the world not with a huge parade, not into the lap of riches and luxury, but instead to this homeless couple, these refugees. And this is how God makes God's self known to us, which is so radical. I think we sometimes forget the radical nature of how our faith begins as we know it in Jesus. When was the last time you heard someone with unlimited power who didn't use that power to be used for personal advantage. doesn't happen very often, but we see the example given to us through Christ. And as Paul notes, could have exploited this power, but instead humbled himself. And this is how God makes God's self known to us, and I think gives us a hint of how we use power in our own lives as well. Well, as you may have picked up on in this sermon series, we are using fictional empires to explore the kind of empire that Jesus was born into and to explore how his empire shown in our world today through these fictional series like the TV show Empire, The Hunting or The Hunger Games, and um, Game of Thrones. And today we are uh, perhaps understandably talking about Star Wars. I went to see the the new Star Wars yesterday, loved it, uh, so I'm, I wouldn't call myself a Star Wars geek or nerd, but I certainly enjoyed myself and have seen all the movies as well and done a little bit of reading about it. So if you have no interest in Star Wars at all, I hope you still at least can listen a little bit. So in Star Wars, in this world that George Lucas created, there is something called the Force. And there's a character in Star Wars named Obi-Wan Kenobi who describes the Force this way. He says, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. Jedi Knights are uh, those individuals who use this Force, this energy for good. So Obi-Wan talks about it's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. It is this amazing power that anyone can make use of. But there are particular individuals who are especially sensitive and can use them in all kinds of ways. They can use them for good or they can use them for evil. So one of the main characters in the whole Star Wars saga is a boy who grows up to a man named Anakin Skywalker. And he is the son of a slave, Shmi Skywalker. 
He is uh, born a stranger, a misfit, and interestingly as well, uh, Anakin's mother, Shmi, claims that Anakin does not have a biological father, so interesting note there. But they are raised in a world that sees no value in them. And yet, Anakin, it's discovered early on, has the power to do miraculous things. He has the ability to use the force in ways that no one else can do. And so the, the question is, as Anakin grows up, how will he use this? Will he grow up to be a Jedi, or will he grow up instead to use it to obey and follow what's known in Star Wars as the dark side? And as you probably know, if you know anything about Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. And for most of his life, he uses this power to promote and to share and to spread the power of the dark side, the influence of the dark side. I'm going to show a clip in my sermon, and I'll see if I can find this online and put a clip on the Podbean page as well, where in episode six, um, when uh, Luke and Darth Vader see each other for the first time after Luke has discovered that Darth Vader is indeed his father, and there's this conversation between the two of them, and you can see where At this point in the movie, their allegiances lie. The Darth Vader recognizes the power that Luke has and tries to convince him to use this in order to serve the Emperor, to serve the dark side, where Luke sees still some good in his father, and he's trying to convince him to to use the Force instead to come over back into the light, back to becoming a Jedi. So there's this back and forth between them. And so we see here an example of power being used by the Emperor, by the Empire, by Darth Vader. They are using it, they are using the Force to kill, to enslave, to control. And Luke and other Jedi are using it instead to use and uh, spread good, uh, to use the Force to allow life and freedom. And so this is back and forth. And how they use power, whether you use it for darkness or for good. So we can see all kinds of, I was listening to how George Lucas used Star Wars as a way to really describe and unpack the power of myth and mythical figures. And I know there are people who have talked a lot about, are there any semblances of Christ or of the Christian faith in Star Wars? And there are times where you can stretch that pretty thin. Uh, But I do think it's interesting when we think about this force, this power, and people of different walks of life will use and talk about the, the power of life in different ways. For Christians, I think we describe it in this way. We describe it as the power of the Holy Spirit. This way that God is made known to us for in, in real and tangible ways in our own lives. And I think sometimes we forget that this power, the Holy Spirit, is given to us. So if we think that power is only something for those who are wealthy, for those who, are, uh, who have connections, instead we read in Acts 1.8, so this is after the resurrected Christ comes to be known and experienced in, to the disciples, uh, and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So Jesus describes this holy, the Holy Spirit, this power that will be used by all of those who receive it. And that includes, I believe, you and me, that you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So then the question goes back to this, back to even the very beginning. Will you use the power like invisibility or flight? How will you use either of those things? And we see it and we can laugh about it in, in fictional narratives. Like, will you use it, the force for good 
or for evil. And we can unpack all of that as well. And we think, well, that's only in fairy tales. It's only in myths. Uh, it's only in, in kind of philosophical uh, conversations. But if you believe in the power of God, and if you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us all, that we actually have this power, how will we use this? Will we use it to serve only ourselves? Will we use it in selfish ways, therefore perhaps enabling evil and injustice to take place? Or will we use it instead to bring life and freedom to others? I was reading an article a few weeks ago about two individuals named Jason Duchin and Tim Lord. They started this organization in New York called Dream Yard. Now, both Jason and Tim grew up with pretty, uh, in pretty uh, great circumstances. Tim's uh, came from a very powerful family. His, his grandmother was a woman named Mary Pillsbury Lord, who was a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt, and in fact succeeded Eleanor Roosevelt as the U.S. representative to the U.N. Human Rights Commission. His father was an independent school headmaster, so he grew up with lots of privileges and advantages. Jason Duchin grew up with the son of Peter Duchin, who was, became known as an adult as a famous band leader. But actually, Peter was orphaned at the age of 14, and he was raised by Avril Harriman and his wife, Marie Whitney Harriman. You probably don't know them. I never heard of them either, but Avril Harriman was the governor of New York. And so Jason Duchin also grew up with a background, as the article that I read described him, saying that he's, we talk about the 1%, uh, Jason Duchin grew up in the 0.01%. Near it, but never of it. So they both had these extreme advantages. They both went to private school growing up, to a prep school in New England. Jason went to Duke University. Tim went to Brown University. So had all of these advantages that life had to offer. They had lots of power. And so what did they do with this power? Well, they were both interested in the arts. And one night at a party, they began talking about how could they use the arts? Specifically, initially, how could they use theater to teach kids? And then they found they were thinking about the same lines. And so they started gathering these kids together. So Jason was already working for a nonprofit that had some of these same goals in mind, using the arts to educate kids. And so they took a group of kids between the ages of 8 and 12, and they put a play together about a place called the Dream Yard, a playground where dreams become true. And they liked the name of it, and so they created this organization called DreamYard. They set up this nonprofit, and it has grown today. And they located it intentionally in the Bronx. And you probably know that the Bronx is New York's poorest neighborhood. And in fact, I didn't know this, the congressional district that covers much of it is the poorest congressional district in the country. So that's where they started DreamYard, and that's where they have stayed. Today, they continue to try to recruit teachers from among working artists that they both know and match them with schools whose funding for arts education has been cut. And today, they sponsor artists in 45 schools and teach about 10,000 students. And this has been going now for more than 21 years. Stories like this, I think, are pretty powerful in that you see two individuals who could have used the power and the advantages that they had they grew up with for any number of reasons. They could have made a lot of money. They could have used it for selfish reasons. But instead, they saw a need. And it's they saw that need, and they're doing what they can to make sure that those who do not have those same advantages, they're in a sense, they're using their power, and they're trying to use it so that others can have at least come close to maybe some of the opportunities that they had. 
Now, how do we use that same power? And think about in your life, how do you have that power? Is it because of your race that you have power? Is it because of the economic advantages that you might have? Is it because of your education? I think many of us who are listening to this have some semblance of power. So the question is, how do we use this power? Do we use it in radical ways like this to try to make sure that others have similar opportunities? Do we use it to try to overturn and to fix structures that say that there is not enough arts education for kids in schools? How will you use this power? Will you think about this and only in thought exercises and thinking about, well, it'd be interesting to know if I had all the power in the world and what would I do with it? But instead, friends, you already have the power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit here and now. And God has shown us how to use this power, not for our own advantage, but instead to be humble with it. To be humble with it so that others can be lifted up and in the process that lifts us up as well. So, how will you use your power, however you describe it? Hopefully, as followers of Christ, you describe it not as the force necessarily, but as the Holy Spirit. How will you use this power? This is the question that I want all of us to reflect on, especially this week as we celebrate the coming of Christ, who had all the power, humbled himself, and in turn was lifted up. May we follow the example of Christ in our own lives in this way. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for listening and for your support. This will be my last podcast of 2015, and I always appreciate those who listen. As always, you can reach out to me via email, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, and on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm taking the next couple of weeks off. I won't be preaching on December 27th nor on January 3rd. Uh, At my particular site at Urban Village, we are moving neighborhoods, and so on January 10th, we will be moving to a new neighborhood in the South Loop. If you listen to this and you live in Chicago, uh, we would love to have you join us on that date. January 10th, we'll be at 829 South Wabash at 1015 a.m. Um, if you've only listened and never come and seen and experienced Urban Village live, it's great. I'm biased, of course, but I think it's great. So I hope that you can do that. If you're listening to this in another part of the country, please keep us in your prayers. Um, and also another way to support us too and support this launch is to give us and support us financially. And I'll put a link up on the Podbean page, ways that you can do that as well. Friends, this week, have a blessed, blessed Merry Christmas. May you be surrounded by the love of God. Uh, may you know of the power of the Holy Spirit, that it dwells in all of us and that we may use it so that others can celebrate and know this power as well. May the peace of Christ be yours. Love and sound.